Oh, man, we have a special treat for you today. 13 years ago, there was a, a friend who came. He was the pastor of Beaverton Foursquare Church. He came to install us. Uh, Randy Remington has been a friend for many, many years, currently serves as the Foursquare International President. Um, Foursquare uh, is our tribe, and there's about 60,000 or so churches uh, all around the world. Uh, Randy is a great friend, and I'm going to ask him to come today to greet you, and I don't know what he's going to say. Uh, 13 years ago, when he came, there may be a slide uh, of a photo that was taken. He introduced us with a warning and we only thought it would be right for Randy to come today and to apologize for appointing us or for, I don't know, would you welcome Randy Remington as he comes? Well, good morning. That uh, picture was legitimate. I felt like we just had to get things out on the open, put everything on the table, um, show our hand up front that if you were looking for pastors, leaders who were content with the status quo, um, just only caring for the found, um, who were afraid of people or unwilling to take risks. These weren't your, these weren't your pastors. Um, <clears throat> I don't know two people who have been more passionately committed to the mission that Jesus entrusted us with than these two people. And next week, you're going to from what I could lip read, tell, um, <laughs> that, that you're going to celebrate um, and give rightfully so honor to Jared and Ann for their 13 years of faithfulness. <clears throat> I don't think anybody's more surprised that they were here for 13 years than them. Um, first of all, I, I think they thought they were transitional. Second of all, I think they thought they might get voted off the island by year three, so that... That sooner or later, they're like, can we have another shot? We, gave, we gave, gave it our best effort with them. Give it someone else. But, you know, this leaving the local church thing is hard. Um, I did it a few years ago to be in this role. And it's, but the joy is I get to be, I get to be like you guys now. And so do you. You get to come to church 15 minutes late. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what? We sing more than two songs? Who knew? Uh, that. <laughs> There's a whole new world out there that you guys get to experience when you're no longer responsible for it. So, uh, but I, I want to say a few words, um, if I can. Um, one to you, as the church, because this is this is a church that's had a history of basically um, loving and sending a lot of leaders. You've. It's almost like it's in the assignment that Jesus has for this church. And I think that's a special assignment. It's, it's an unusual assignment. Um, that you could be part of a community that sees that ultimately Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. And that he gives gifts and people to the church um, to serve in seasons and times. And the scripture says there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. There's a divinely orchestrated, initiated by heaven beginning that can take place, that God starts stuff. How many believe that? God begins things. God creates things. He makes things. But do you also believe that it is just as divinely orchestrated for things to end, for seasons to come to a, a fruition, for, for seasons that we, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase, that we all get to be part of 
a stewarding of a season and a time and a place in our lives in different ministry contexts and assignments. And the beauty is that the church is really going to do well. I'm, I'm really confident about that, and I'll tell you why. Because over 2,000 years, the church has withstood um, empires rising and falling, pestilence, famine, reformations, injustice, overcorrections, popes, prophets, pestilence, priests. I mean, we've survived a lot. And I really believe that when Jesus said the gates of hell cannot stand against the church, that that said something about what he would build. He would build something that would be enduring and inevitable, um, indestructible. So the church is going to do well. You're in good hands because Jesus is committed to his church. And he's committed to making sure that there will be those who will love and give priority to and serve and care for and tend his flock. Um, but you're a resilient church. You're, 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 you're really um, uniquely graced. And there's a fruitful season still in front of you because you have children and children's children that still need to know Jesus. There's still 7,500 unreached people groups in the world, 42% of the world's population that doesn't know Jesus. There's still work to do. This growing Washington County still needs lighthouse churches that pulsate and reverberate with the life of Jesus. And you are called to be, in this part of this county, in this region, a lampstand church, a, a city set on a hill. So keep shining bright. Um, keep being who Jesus called you to be. Keep, keep loving Jesus with everything you've got um, and loving each other really, really well. If you do those two things, you will stand in stark contrast to the culture in which we live. So if nothing more, loving one another really well in a day when we so easily divide and separate and go into our corners and drop the gloves and yell at each other. So Jesus said that the world will look at you and know that you follow me by the way that you love one another. But I want to say a couple words about Jared and Ann, if, if I can, because I came here. I got to work with Jared and Ann um, in different ways throughout the years in our Foursquare family um, for a little short season. They were on staff at Beaverton, and I got to see them up close. So I've, I've gotten to observe them in a lot of contexts over the years. And how many of you know that there's a lot of times where who people really want to project themselves to be externally, outwardly, is not really who they are inwardly. That sometimes what you see up front or platformed is not the true story behind the scenes. And one of the things I can say about the Roths are that who they are uniquely, inwardly, is who they present themselves to be. There's no incongruency there. And that's character, that's integrity, that they're the same people behind the scenes as they are up front. And you can sample their lives in any setting and you would find the same person. They don't change for the group they're in or the people they're with, that, that they are who they are. And that's, um, that's a reflection of a lot of things. It's a reflection of their security, of their identity and who they are in Jesus, who he made them to be. But it also speaks to their integrity and it speaks to, to their character. So. Um, I have found them to be, because of that, very trustworthy, safe people in my life. So Jared has the unfortunate role of being somebody that it's, it's, it's one of like three people in my life that I can kind of just go and go, like I just vomit all over him. 
Like, I just, I don't have very many places or people like that that I could just sit down and I'm trying not to, like, have him dread every time I text him for coffee, like, oh, great, you know, got to get some Clorox. But, uh, you know, I, but, but this is what I know, that he's going to filter that, he's going to neutralize that with his grace and patience, and then he's going to reorient me back to my calling, back to who Jesus is in my life. Um, he's not going to sit in the pocket of pain and take offense for me or fuel bitterness. Um, but everything I've heard from those who have walked closely with Jared and Ann have found them to be really, really trustworthy, safe people that they can entrust their callings to, they can entrust their assignments to, they can entrust their journey with um, and find that there would be godly wisdom and godly counsel there. So I want to I wanna share, out of all the things, I made a list this weekend of all the things um, that I feel like I've learned from the Roths, but I don't have time. As a matter of fact, you gave me no time frame. I have no idea where I'm supposed to, like, sh- shut up and sit down. But uh, uh, I guess I'll find in the debrief after the service. But, uh, <laughs> but I want to I wanna just mention really one thing because it's something that has been crystallized in their counsel in my life. And it's this, and I know it doesn't sound that spiritual when I say it, but it is, it's deeply spiritual. Um, And I'll, I'll, I'll say why in a moment. But life is a matter of priority, not urgency. That we don't live our lives driven by the urgency of a moment or of a demand or of an expectation or of a circumstance that we make decisions and and I think nobody modeled this better than Jesus that when there were so many pressing points in his life so many people having demands upon him um, ideas about how he should do his life and what he should be all about he was very intentional in what he said yes to and what he said no to I have never met two more extremely disciplined, prioritized people in my whole life than these two. I marvel at them. They order off of a menu, and it sounds like a doctoral thesis. Um, I, I'm not kidding. I was just in a retreat this weekend, a pastor's retreat with Jared, and we were going around sharing, and when he shared, we all just kind of like, why did I even share? You know, like, um, you know, and it's just off the cuff. You know, it's like, Five refined thoughts about do 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 do, and that's my turn. It's like God, good, devil, bad. You know, it's like really in contrast. It's like I'm I'm really embarrassed. I don't even want to talk. But um, but when I think about the priorities of their life and what I've watched for them, this the priority of taking the gospel to people who do not know Jesus, who are far from Jesus. They live that priority. They're radically committed to engaging culture and community, sharing the gospel in the context of relationship. They live that. They don't just preach it. I want to say they smoke what they're selling. You know, they, uh, they, they embody the very life. I don't know if you can say that in church. Um, <laughs> but they embody the very life they're inviting you into. So they're not, they're not like the hypocrites of the Pharisees who say, listen to what I say, it's true, but don't watch what I do because I don't do what I say. 
That's, that was the, the, the indictment against the Pharisees that Jesus made was like, what they're saying isn't bad. The fact is they're not doing what they're saying. And one of the things I like about people like the Roths, because it's not dependent on a, an assignment, they're not going to suddenly change when their role changes. This is who they're going to be. They're living their lives by priority. And so when it was said of Jesus, um, he's a friend of sinners. When it was said of John the Baptist, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That when Jesus was being defined by the religious leaders, he was being defined in terms of his engagement with those who didn't know the Father. They were known by their lack of engagement, who I'm not engaging with. Look at me, I'm keeping my distance from them. And Jesus was known in terms of who he engaged with. And the thing that I like about, and I've learned from the Roths, and I've learned this so, it, it's inspiring to me, it's challenging to me, it's convicting to me, is that they refuse to keep their light hidden under a bushel. They refuse to look at a world around us that's broken and in desperate need of wholeness and hope and salvation and say, let someone else do it. That they're willing to take all the chips, put it into the table and the one big move and say, what if we risked it all? What if we went all in? What if our priority was the same priority that caused Jesus to leave the comfort of heaven? to get himself a body and step into the pain of this world so that he could reconcile lost people to a holy God? What if, what if that burned in us? And the reason I like to be around the Roths for many reasons, but I always walk away recalibrated around this single, simple priority of Jesus. To, hey, if you have been found if you know the joy of salvation, why don't we let others know about that too? And what if we just used all the creativity and all the resources and all the anointing, all the spirit empowerment, all the resources of heaven that are available to us to go do that? That the priority of that has stayed very much front and center, even in these last, not the last years, that sounds so morbid, uh, in... In the third quarter, is this third quarter? Is it fourth quarter? <laughs> it could be fourth quarter. Um, so, but Sprout Digital, what in the world? So I had just made a note on my phone when you were talking um, uh, that we gotta give to that. And I'll, and I'll tell you why it comes down to this priority. Jesus didn't expect people, especially those who are non-believers, to jump into his world. So he, jumped into their world. And so I think that it's so consistent with who they are, who they've led you to be and who they've lived before you, that in this, when they could just mail it in, when they could just eat bonbons, put their feet up and just really be selfish with their life and time, they said, what if we went and jumped into the world of people who don't know Jesus? And what if we found ways to bring the gospel to them. So when I get to the fourth quarter, I still want to watch over my own life, my own soul, in whatever arena I've been entrusted to. I want to be prioritized. 
I want to care about my physical health, my spiritual health, my emotional health, my mental health, and the mission in the same way. So I want to say to you, Sandy and I, as we prayed this morning, she'll be here in the next service, we were talking about you. When some people, they say the older you get, the more it's a true revelation of who you really are. Like the filters go away and you are what you are. And you know, it's like, <laughs> and isn't it true? There's like no middle ground. There's like two extremes. There's the crotchety, fearful, fussy, grumpy, get off my lawn, you know, kind of people. And then there's people who enjoy life. They laugh easily. They still celebrate the next generation. They're still in love with Jesus and his church. They're not dealing with deep, bitter roots from offense and hurts and pains. They've stewarded their heart well before Jesus. And they come to this season of their life, and there's still so much more to give. And so the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. As fruitful as this last six decades have been, there's still an exponential kind of fruitfulness in front of you. Thank you for investing in our lives so greatly. Dang, I wish we hadn't waited so long to invite you back. <laughs> After you installed us with a warning, we did not invite you back until the Sunday before we're done. And uh, the last service we had any control over at all, we invited you back. And it wasn't an intervention, it was nice. And thank you, thank you. Well, I want you to know today that, um, uh, that I really want to give you a gift. And uh, after 13 years of evoking anxiety, I want to talk to you about peace today. So uh, you knew it would happen. It just it was kind of late to the party, I know, but, but I do want to share something with you. You know, uh, when we first came, uh, you know, there are people who, are, who have been in this church 40, 50, 60, and 70 years. This church is 95 years old. And uh, shortly after you installed us, Randy, um, uh, a woman who had had over 40 years' experience, uh, came to us and said, <clears throat> Pastor, did you know that Evergreen is a pastor killer church? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I wanted to say to her, why didn't you tell us this like two weeks ago? You know, it's kind of too late now. We got married, and uh, uh, that was her experience. Well, I have to tell you, I, I, I can only tell you about chapter 31. But chapter 31, I can tell you that Evergreen, you are a pastor life giving church. I am better for you. I am better. And I think at the end of, uh, you know, this, this is the longest I've ever been in a local church. You have had me longer than any other church in my entire life. I have lived one-fifth of my long, sordid life with you, and I am better for it. I think I am better spiritually. I think I'm better mentally and emotionally and relationally. And physically, I am at my all-time best. Now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's my assessment. You're the jury. So you'll actually weigh in on what you think about that. But if you don't agree, please don't tell me about it. Evergreen, here's the short of that. I love you, and you have been good for me. Thank you. Today, I want to give you a gift, uh, a gift of a message of my life in this series that Ann and I are wrapping today called One More Time. You knew we were going to repeat ourselves. Well, I'm not going to disappoint you today. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard this theme. If you are new here, it's finally going to make sense. What makes that crazy guy tick? I want to share with you today how I deal with the highs and the lows of life 
and how I think I'm finishing this season pretty well. How I try to be a non-anxious presence. The New Testament usually emphasizes positive stuff, doesn't it? Almost always has a positive point of view. Uh, Jesus, uh, look at Jesus, that's pretty aspirational. Uh, follow Jesus, that's aspirational. You know, live this way, that's aspirational. But once in a while, there's exceptions. And so those exceptions particularly attract our attention. I want you to notice an exception with me today. An exception is when the Bible says, knock it off, stop doing that. And that's what we're going to read today. Notice with me what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, starting with in chapter 4. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. Pause. That's the knock it off. Just, just knock it off. <laughs> but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, leave, this, leave the uh, screen up there for just a moment. Notice the words that I've highlighted. You'll notice them. There is prayer and thank and peace. So we have knock off the anxiety, which is cruel to say, isn't it? All of us are anxious much of the time. I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning. I was anxious. I had my stuff going. I took my own good advice and followed number one and two. I prayed and I began to give thanks. And when we pray and give thanks, what's the promise? We will experience what? Peace. And what the kind of peace is indescribable and it's nonsensical. It's irrational and it's under, not understandable. And this is why. When you pray about the thing that's evoking anxiety or fear, and you begin thank God for being engaged and intervening in that, your circumstances have not changed. The very thing that evoked the anxiety is just the same as it was before. But you now have an irrational sense of peace because you have prayed and you have thanked. But he's not done. He tells us one thing not to do, four things to do. Number one, pray. Number two, thank. Let's read on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, here's a list of eight, true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what do we do? Think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, just go do it. <laughs> Put it into practice. And here's the second promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Leave the slide up for just a moment. Step one is pray. Step two is thank. Step three is think. Step four is do. Uh, Paul was Nike before Nike was. Just do it. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to wrap. But here's the deal. In our many years of hanging out with lots of Christians, we've discovered that many Christians get pretty good at praying, decent about thanking, not too bad about thinking, and really good at talking. But you notice that peace does not come from talking. Pray, thank, think, do. And an uncanny peace will come into your soul, and your experience of the God of peace will be ramped up. What I summarize this passage at is this. When Paul tells us what not to do, he then says, 
if you do steps one and two, you will feel better. And if you add steps three and four, you will be better. If, uh, if you were uh, noticed that uh, one corner of your house was on fire and you called 911, who would you hope would show up? Probably, yeah, <laughs> firefighter. That would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, if you were with someone in your home and uh, they seemed to be suffering stroke symptoms and you called 911, who would you hope showed up? Probably an, an EMT, right? What you would want is somebody with a title that precisely meets the, uh, meets the need that you're experiencing. And this is what Paul does. This is a beautiful thing. He starts with anxiety and he says, if you will process your anxiety, one, two, three, and four, not only will your soul be at peace, but you will actually have coming to your 911 call the God of peace. Where God is present, there is peace. He is called the God of peace. Where the Spirit is working, there is peace. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And when we pray, thank, think, and do, the promise is peace. So there's four steps, four steps in the process. You know, um, there's money in peace. Uh, one of our friends that most of us have been exposed to is aware of that. His name is Dave Ramsey. Uh, most of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey? Yeah. Any FPU, Financial Peace University graduates here besides us? Yeah, not very many. Well, that explains a lot of things. Get your act together and go do Financial Peace University. Ben is a, is a certified uh, Financial Peace University coach. And if, uh, I didn't know I was going to give a pitch for that. That was an embarrassingly small number of hands that just went up. Either you were lying, lazy, or you need to go. So there we go. There we go. So what does Dave Ramsey sell? Don't, trick question. Don't answer out loud. $200 million net worth. $15 million a year income streams just off of two of his sources of income, his YouTube channel and his product sales. What does Dave Ramsey sell? Not financial advice. He doesn't sell YouTube videos. He doesn't sell products. He does not sell a system. Dave Ramsey sells peace. Financial Peace University. Paul says to us, at the essence of the story that I want to leave with this church that he had planted, I want for you to be people of peace. And so I want you, first of all, to pray about it. One of the reasons that Ann and I have kind of routinized a devotional life is because I want to start the day in a non-anxious environment. Did you know that life will probably make me anxious some point later in the day? It's just a good thing in my little soap thing where I get to pee for pray is to, to pray through the schedule for the day. And then I pray about stuff that I'm not responsible for but bothers me, like in our community and in our state and in our country and around God's big world. And what I do in the process of prayer is what you do. Here's the promise, that when we pray, Peter says it this way, I love this image, we take our big burden, the big rock, and we roll it over on him because he, he cares for us. And the stuff that's weighing me down, my own stuff that I have responsibility for and other stuff that causes me anxiety, I roll it over on him. That's what prayer does. It's petition, it moves it over. I pray for myself. I pray for others. I pr move it over onto him. It does not resolve me a personal responsibility, but it sets me free from the faux guilt and pressure of stuff that I cannot handle. And I pray about it. And then he says, I want you to thank me for that. Because when we begin to thank, it's shifting from request to faith. The faith that says, I think you've got this handled. 
thank you that I have rolled this over on you and you are caring and you are bearing the weight. You are with me in this situation. Thanksgiving, without seeing a change in circumstance, says you've got this handled. And that's why it's so powerful. And there's a promise that comes just with doing steps one and two. You'll get a long way just doing one and two. The way God designed your body is for you to experience fear, anxiety, concern, because there may be real danger. If you step in front of a bus, you should feel some anxiety and have a little extra burst of energy to get out of the way of the bus. And God designed your body that way. There's a sense of danger, and that limbic system fires off, and you've got stress hormones going through your body, and all of a sudden your blood, your blood pressure is up and your heart is pounding, and you are really ready to go. And that's called anxiety. And we feel that. Thank God we feel that to prepare us to move from danger. But many times we discover that the danger is a faux danger or it's not a physical danger. And what do we do at 2 o'clock in the morning as I was this morning? And you know that you're going to go down a path. It's a, called a worry path. And boy, cortisol and adrenaline are supposed to keep you awake. That is their job, yeah. And when we move from pray to thank, what happens in how God designed your body is that what was subconscious in your brain, now you're giving conscious attention to. And when your prefrontal cortex is engaged, which Thanksgiving does, it says, God, I'm going to be very thoughtful and specific about what I'm saying. Thank you for handling for me. Your limbic system, which is fast but lazy, goes back to sleep. Well, if you're really going to handle this up there, smart guy in the front of your brain, I'm just going to mellow out, and I'm going to stop coursing stress hormones through your body. We pray, we give it to God, we begin to thank Him. And in that process of thanking God, there is an uncanny peace that comes for your emotions and your thoughts. You've experienced that, haven't you? An uncanny peace. It's not describable. It doesn't make sense. It's irrational because the circumstance that caused the anxiety is still exactly the way it was. But you have moved to a place of shifting responsibility and weight over to God in a way that says, thank you for handling that. When you pray and when you thank, you will experience a peace in your heart and your mind. But Paul is not done. He wants to give us, he wants to give us steps three and four. And by the way, steps three and four is what Dave Ramsey gets rich selling. By the way, I'm a fan. You know I'm a fan. I'm also slightly jealous that he can sell peace for that much money. I'm just, you know, yeah. So here's the deal. What Dave Ramsey sells are steps three and four. Now, he's a believer in Jesus. He could do the preachy stuff on one and two, but that's not his business. Steps three and four. He says, I'm going to tell you how to think about money, and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do about money. Now, if you think the way I think about money and you don't do what I do about money, it won't make any difference in your life. But if you think about money the way I do and you do what I tell you to do with your money, you will find financial peace in your life. Many other methodologies that are very helpful for us as humans follow the same pattern of three and four. Cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, is a, is a wonderful therapeutic tool that asks people, where are you, how are you thinking? What if you thought differently about that? And what if you now acted differently on the basis of those new thoughts? Very powerful. What Paul does by Holy Spirit inspiration is he reels us back before steps three and four to deal with the essence of who we are, our spirit first. And he says, I want you to pray, and I want you to thank. That's God business that we do with God. And then, and then if you really want to put this into concrete, take steps three and four. Number three, number three is to think. 
Think the positive. Think the aspirational. Make your thoughts go to the what I call above-the-line place. Since this is my last shot, you know that I'm going to talk about media again, don't you? Yeah. Randy, you said I wasn't cranky, but this church knows when I talk about media, I'm cranky. I really am. Just one more time. Okay. One last time. That's the name of the series. Here I go. Yeah. You know that my own rule is the length of my quiet time is the amount of time that I will give to consuming media that day. If it's a five-minute quiet time, it's five minutes of media. If it's 45, I can have 45. I may not want it. I may want more. That's my deal. Here's the reason. Why in the world would I listen to God less than listen to somebody else tell me what they think I should be hearing? And why would I be listening primarily to people whose job is to evoke anxiety in my life, to make me mad, to cause me to fear, to tell me about a common enemy? And I just want to suggest that if you take those eight qualities, doom, 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 think about these things, and apply it to much media input, that you'll find that there's not a very good marriage between the two. In fact, I think I've told the story, uh, you'll just find it's hard to believe, but occasionally I'm in meetings that I know are going to be conflicted, and I have about five to seven minutes of good behavior in me in a nasty meeting, yeah. And if it's, a, if it's going to be a two-hour meeting, I, I am just hopeless I'm going to mouth off, I'm going to be quippy, I'm going to think I'm really smart, I'm going to go zingers, you know, I'm just going to misbehave, right? And I want to be a non-anxious presence, and so what I've done, literally, you know, sometimes I take a notebook or, or a device in, because it, it looks like I'm actually taking notes and being attentive, but what I've done is I've preloaded that page with these eight words. I literally write them down in a column. And then when I catch someone doing one of those things, I put down their initials. It looks like I'm taking notes. I'm just making the front of my brain stay in tune to think on these things. So if Nick does something that sounds right, I go, Nick, he got his initial. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if Kathy says something that is, is noble, I go, that was really courageous. And Kathy gets her initial. If something just sounded lovely, I just loved how the, that phrase was turned. Stella, I just go, Stella wrote something. What am I doing? I am keeping the front of my brain engaged above the line around eight qualities that inspired scripture says, if you think about these things, it's going to take you on a path toward the full experience of the presence of the God of peace. I pray, I thank I think, and then I talk, right? <laughs> now, that's what I want to do. I want to go talk. I want to tell stuff. But it says, do. I love this. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he just leans on this. I think he might have been a little frustrated. This may be the last time I talk to these people at this church that I planted and used to pastor, and what do I want to say to them? And what he says to them is, you heard me do it. You saw me do it. You received it from me. You got it. Why don't you just go do it? Put it into practice. Here is the revelation in this passage that is astounding. If you want to experience the full presence of God in your life, you're going to have to do stuff. It's not that you've earned it by doing, but God made you a complex being that includes your body. And at some point, being engaged with him in doing the right thing is the capstone that brings together this experience of the beautiful presence of God. And as we've talked through those four, notice with me how God has just taken us right through how he has constructed our being as humans. He starts with our spirit. 
And as we pray and as we give him the thanksgiving of faith, we engage our spirit and we settle our spirit. As we shift our thinking consciously to above-the-line kinds of thoughts, the good, the pure, the lovely, the right, the true, the praiseworthy, the excellent things, we are engaging our soul, our mind, and our emotions. And finally, he says, I want you to go do the right thing, and that engages our bodies. On Mondays at Orange Theory, uh, Ann and I have our, our coaches named Amy J. Now, Amy J uh, is an amazing coach. She's kind of the boss of coaches, and she uh, is particularly free with telling me what to do in particular. In fact, on Monday morning, when we drive down there, uh, Ann and I will be talking, oh, it's Amy J, isn't it? So this last Monday, she was correcting my form. She didn't like the way I was doing uh, upright rows. And so uh, she, you know, had me, she's showing me. She says, proud chest, proud chest. And I, I guess that's proud chest. And then she says, get your shoulders back. Yeah, feel, get your shoulders back. Get them away from your ears. Proud chest, shoulders back. Bend over. Hinge, 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 hinge. And then she says, and pull the weight to your belt. Pull the weight to your belt. Now, she modeled it. She told me about it. I leaned over. I modeled it. And guess how much benefit my fitness had as a result of that? Zero. I had to pick up the stupid dumbbell. Not a, that's redundant, isn't it? Yeah. I had to pick up the dumbbell, and I had to use proper form, but I had to finally do the work. The Apostle Paul says this, you're not done until you do. You're not done when you pray, thank, and think, and talk. You're done when you pray, thank, think, and do. What's the right thing to do? St. Francis, uh, by the way, I wasn't there. Some of you think I'm very old. I was not there 1,100 years ago. But the word is out that St. Francis said this. Notice it. Humans tend to live themselves into new ways of thinking more than think themselves into new ways of of living. And uh, current, just an uh, expert uh, and, uh, and a mentor from a distance for me, James Clear, this last week wrote something similar. On the ground, a rock is just a rock. But when moving at high speed through the atmosphere, a rock becomes a meteor alive with fire and burning light. People are not so different. Without activity, we are lifeless and dull. When moving fast and taking action, we come alive. Apparently, anxiety has always been a huge issue for humans. We know particularly in our affluent Western world, it's a major, major issue. All of us deal with it to some degree, some of us in more severe degrees. Emerging generations are reporting higher levels of anxiety issues than uh, we older generations. But this is not new for us. In fact, out of all of the instructions that God gives, there's a short quip, sometimes called a command, but one more repeated than any other is, do not be afraid. 81 times, God has been telling people across the millennia, do not be afraid. And it's not because about how unique their life is, it's about how unique he is. 
So to anyone, at any time, anywhere, in any circumstance, he can always give that same instruction, do not be afraid because of his presence and a pathway that he's given us can always bring us toward peace. Today on Father's Day, a dad who feels like he's failing as a parent, do not be afraid. The woman who's struggling at work, do not be afraid. The student who's trying to figure out her future, do not be afraid. The, ref uh, the retiree who's afraid the money won't last. By the way, we may, we may stick around longer than expected. No, no, no. no. <laughs> the retiree who's afraid the money won't last. Do not be afraid. The young adult who faces crushing student debt. Do not be afraid. Evergreen, in transition. Say it with me. Do not be afraid. Yeah. As we move toward our conclusion, the Apostle John, he, he records the story of the moment that the church was birthed. We, we often talk about Pentecost as that day, and understandably so. I'm not arguing against that, but in my sense, the church really started with a much smaller group of people after the resurrection. I bet for most of you, this story is familiar as I read it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his sides. Now, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw that it was the Lord. And again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the church was born. That's how Jesus helped his followers at a time of uncertain transition. That's what Jesus is saying to Evergreen in our time of transition. And notice it with me. He, he reaches people who are at their lousiest day, in fear, and he has an answer for that. Peace be with you. You're on mission. Go do it in the power of my spirit. He's also with guys that are overjoyed. Do you know how much joy overjoy is? Yeah, it's joy and it's overjoy. Now they are having the best moment of their life. What does Jesus say to them to make the adjustment? If you tell people on the worst day of their life, peace be still, you must tell people at the best day of their life something else, right? No. Peace to you. Peace. Why? Because people who are having the best day of their life are sent on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants you to be a person of peace on mission in the power of his spirit. And evergreen, you are entering a fresh chapter with fresh vision and fresh grace. As Dan and I leave our roles of leadership here at Evergreen, we want you to be at peace. We are. We're at peace because our season is ending at a perfect time. We're at peace because Evergreen is strong and thriving. 
We're at peace because Ilsian and Carlos are gifted, skilled, and loving leaders. We're at peace because elders, men and women, confirmed their calling. We're at peace because we pray. We're at peace because we thank. We're at peace because we think. We're at peace because we try to do the right thing. We're at peace because the Prince of Peace, sent by Father, the God of Peace, is with us saying to us, be at peace because he is the Lord of his and this church. I'm going to invite all of you to stand. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And I'm going to invite you to take a look at just a moment. We're going to have three slides that come up. And uh, as the first one comes up, I'm going to ask you to, to read it with me. I encourage you to, to use a bold voice. Let's just kind of nail this down. Let's do something before we go, okay? This is the doing piece. And I want you to read these words out loud with me. Would you together? I pray about my concerns. I thank God for intervening. I think thoughts that calm my mind. I do what Jesus tells me to do. Next slide. Together. I pray. I thank. I think. I do. And finally, pray, thank, think, do. Anne and I have shared uh, four things that uh, could just kind of uh, ooze out of us in uh, this series. And we hope that those have been words of our life that have been felt and experienced by you as well as spoken and articulated by us. We are at peace. This is a good season. Jesus is good. He is amazing. Well, fight, finish, and keep the faith. Remember those that are outside the door. Pray, thank, think, and do. thank you for the privilege that Ann and I have had in chapter 31 of this great church to be a part of this community and to have particular assignments. And Lord, as we celebrate and launch chapter 32, it is with gratitude that you, the God of peace, has been with us every step of the way. And chapter 32 is going to be filled with the God of peace presence Thank you for your fresh grace that comes with your fresh vision for a fresh season. We will pray, thank, think, and do. In Jesus' name, would you like to say together with us? Amen. Amen. Well, I heard that we're giving beer today to all the men. Now, this is extraordinary because the teetotaler over here has refused to serve beer in any evergreen-sanctioned activity for 13 years. She is softening. I just want to announce today here for the first time ever, Anne is providing the root beer for all the men today. See you in the lobby and next week.